Thanks for joining us. I'm Alan Burke, a landscape architect here in the Puget Sound region, and you are listening to the Green Meridian Podcast. Good day and welcome to the Green Meridian podcast um, where we meet once a month on the last Tuesday of the month to talk about things which are important to us and our industry and today we have Robert Hobart with us at Brightscape. Wave your hand Robert. Hey and, and Alan Burke, uh, Alan, uh, the Honorable Alan Burke ASLA and Alan is known for at the moment having zero, zero indictments against him. Where do you go, Alan? <laughs> hey, the day is young, Billy. Uh, <laughs> any, anything could happen and uh, have my people call your people. But I, I want to make a correction, and that is our podcast is not the last Tuesday of the month. Our podcast is kind of intermittent, and whenever we can get oh, our act together. thank you. But our, our Green Meridian uh, video conference meeting is the last Tuesday of the month. Thank um, you. And I, I know that. I, I know that even though, uh, you know, the FBI is after me. So there. <laughs> Well, today we're talking about risk management, uh, and there's a, um, a really nice chart, uh, a, a spiral chart on our Facebook page. It's the Green Meridian Facebook page. So if you pop on Facebook and type that in, you'll find it. And they're talking about all the uh, elements that we need to consider when it, when it comes to risk management. I think some of them are pretty self-explanatory, like insurance, um, but, uh, but it actually breaks down to the three different categories, strategic elements, structural elements and operational elements. And I think the one thing that I'm really kind of confused on is the strategic elements and the management of risk through other entities. Uh, but we're not going to start there. We're going to start with things that we already know and see where we go from there. So well, you know, when we I, go, yeah, if I, when I think of risk, Bill, I, I usually, um, um, I, I think of what happens on the job more, more than anything else. There's of course all the insurance and stuff, but I think of like, safety and people falling and uh you know uh entering into a a contract that uh can prove problematic or uh or a lawsuit or you know uh a small claims thing or uh you know a lien being filed those kinds of things uh when i when i think of risk but risk uh, financial financial risk and injury yep. risk yeah mostly i know that there are, are lots of different forms of it but uh uh yeah and and what we do out of out of its very nature is kind of risky, you know. It can be moderately low margin in some cases, depending on what facet of uh, the green industry you're in. Uh, so your 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 costs and your your retail pricing is is tight. Uh, we can be doing dangerous things, working with you know electricity and water, and fire, maybe all at the same time, uh, and plant materials that can expire. Uh, we're working out in the weather. We're working with a labor force that many times is uh, uh, from uh, uh, perhaps a different culture or or doesn't speak the uh, lang same language. Um, and uh, and we're dealing with, uh, in, in the case of residential design build anyway, we're dealing with homeowners that can be all over the map with their expectations and, um, and their reactions to things. So it's risky, man. 
Well, and I'm reminded, I just saw a video by one of our peers uh, on uh, a site not to be mentioned, nor will I mention the uh, peer because they were building a structure and one of the guys was up standing on the beam overhead. And of course, he has no fall protection or anything on. He's just kind of pounding nails nice. in and they're proud of the fact that he's up there pounding nails in, you know, above everything else. <laughs> And I know Robert, you uh, you do Christmas lights, if I'm not mistaken, and and don't you climb people's houses when you do that? And is there an inherent uh, additional risk that you look at when you're trying to organize for that? Yeah, we harness in, we rope, and we have two men on the ladder. We have lots of different safety protocols for sure. Wow, how'd you learn about that? Um. Training videos, there's nationally, you know, accredited, you know, they talk about safety. It's a big thing. And obviously we don't want injured workers because an injured worker is not only as a drain financially, uh, you know, with all the claims, but it's also, you know, you're losing a good person in the field. So it's, uh, but you're, it's, you're, not a, it's not a win anyway you look at it. Your need to watch the videos and your need to research it and identify it as an additional risk generated from somewhere, was it because when you went into the lighting supplier, they said, hey, you better rope your guys up, buy this stuff? Or was it just like, hey, this is something we don't do all the time? Where, where, where did this whole thing originate from? Um, I think just inherent human self-preservation. You know, you're like, <laughs> I'm getting on a 30-foot ladder. Um I don't feel comfortable doing that. So we train to it. We talk about safety. We talk about like, don't get on a wet roof. Um, what are you going to do in all these instances? And so we talk it through, we, we train to it. We, um, um, but it's basically no human being wants to go on a 30 foot ladder without training and they're not going to put their life in jeopardy for a stupid job. So um, hey, giving them the confidence nice. to do it. Right. It's interesting. So actually what I hear you saying is because I watched the gentleman that was up on the beam walking across it, pounding nails in. And, uh, you know, obviously he felt safe being up there without any sort of fall protection. It sounds like um, the risk really originates with a manager or somebody in-house like yourself to say, this is something that we probably need to look into the risk before we actually uh, step forward. And OSHA also requires that anytime you get on a ladder, um, they, you know, things can happen in a second. So you need to be training mm -hmm. towards it. Mm -hmm. Right. And not to put you on a hot seat, but the either you two guys have uh, safety programs that you follow through on regularly? We do. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I, I uh, and we have, we have a training, uh, ongoing training Um there's a specific inventory that each truck is supposed to carry, including first aid and that type of thing. And then there are, uh, there are, there is safety equipment PPE related to the specific task that isn't needed every day, but is attached to each task, whether it's chaps for a chainsaw operation or uh, eye and ear protection, uh, face protection for uh, uh, concrete cutting, you know, and dust protection and that type of thing. Um, they may not have it. On the truck at every at every project site, but uh, it, it it should be available for them when they're doing that task. So, um, and that's something I think you build up to. Uh, one one thought is for a smaller company is to consider that you're renting 
uh, perhaps some of your PPE along with the tool that you're you're taking out, a power tool that you're taking out. A lot of the uh, rental companies will encourage that anyway uh, if you don't own it already. But uh, it's tough because it's not. I don't. I don't think you can assume that the worker doesn't isn't very willing to climb that ladder without any training in the rain and start hanging the lights. And that that's. Uh, I saw a picture yesterday of a guy starting a chainsaw with the blade between his legs. Hmm. You know, because it braces it so much better that way. That's you right. Know? <laughs> and uh, you know, he only does that once, though, right? Yeah, you can you can <laughs> always try that once. Uh, so. You know, I, there, there's so many facets to it uh, uh, to to consider, and it's tough because uh, a business owner needs to be oriented to the pragmatic execution of the work, uh, as well as the welfare uh, uh, of their of the employees. And so, uh, it can be a hard uh, number of things to to balance together. I mean, yeah, tough, 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 tough all around. Um, I think of insurance. Insurance now uh, is a uh, uh, difficult uh, facet of the industry to kind of ton of manage and um, everything from errors and omissions to, you know, uh, liability insurance that needs to be carried. And um, and of course, all the health insurance and everything related to accidents and that type of thing that that happen. So, um, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to juggle. You become a uh, full-time administrator a lot of times i think would you agree robert with uh with the amount of work that you've got to do in order to manage the business far in excess of what you thought you were going to be doing when you were originally setting up you know in your case the lighting and you thought you'd be selling lighting all day long yeah you definitely come up uh i'm not in the field anymore <laughs> mm -hmm. so i have people on staff that take care of the HR and the training sessions and all that stuff. But, you know, when you're a sole proprietor, you take care of yourself and then you start mm -hmm. hiring employees and it's hard to like justify those costs for sure. Mm -hmm. But as you get bigger, you, you almost have to, or else you're going to lose your whole company if you don't. Is the general thinking that, that in our, in the industry, in the, in the landscape installation industry in general, uh, the residential, especially that perhaps, uh, a disproportionate amount of businesses are not taking this into account and are not really looking at risk management closely compared to, you know, other uh, facets of construction, commercial, where it's where there's a more uh, strict uh, measured requirement or uh, I don't know, uh, I think of roofing, you know, roofing companies generally have the highest, I think, uh, per hour L&I rate uh, of any kind of construction. Right. And um, uh, but I would imagine in the landscape trades, because so many companies are not bonded and licensed and legal entities that there's a lot of uh, unnecessary risk being taken. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of our conversation at the moment is falling under those operational elements, you know, the safety program, project execution and uh, project risk assessment, which we've all touched on. Um, if I could take it over, Alan mentioned the mm -hmm. insurance program, but the, the structural elements uh, would be your financial financial participation. Um, that's interesting to think, how would that be a risky? Um, your insurance program, which we all have, and risk management department, which kind of falls on us. Um, but what do you think about this? What's this financial participation? Is that is that like I need to set aside money every year to... Uh, 
uh, make sure I've got masks for the guys when they're, you know, cutting something that they need to. And uh, do I need to send people out to uh, safety programs? Do I need to go to the LNI? Uh, does anybody go to the LNI uh, yearly uh, safety program day? Uh, I don't. We we used to. Uh, uh, and at one point, uh, uh, the state LNI program came out and filmed our workers lifting to show a, a, do a video of uh, of proper lifting. I don't I don't know if it's still there, but if you go online, you should see one of our old crews uh, lifting basalt rocks properly, uh, which which was which was kind of nice. Uh, and I have to say that crew knew how to lift rocks properly. Um, hopefully it would extend to all the other crews that we had. Um, but, uh, uh, I, I, I stopped going, you know, but I think it's, it's worth it. And that it's a great resource. It's a, it's a good resource. I won't say it's a great resource. It's a good resource for, um, companies, uh, to take advantage of that they don't, including, uh, I think they offer a complimentary kind of inspection and, uh, critique of your company. If I'm not mistaken, someone can come out and give you some guidance on how to implement a better safety program and that type of thing, if I'm not mistaken. So. Yeah, actually, I just ran into the woman down at uh, the Tacoma Home Show, um, and they had a booth down there, L&I. And she said, she gave me the little brochure and said, they will come out and do a complimentary inspection, and they will not, uh, no matter what happens, send any triggers up uh, uh, that would uh, get an inspector to come out. So it's completely confidential, um, mm -hmm. apparently, if we're doing it. So, all right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. We're part of GRIP, which is uh, they also do free auditing, and um, we also do some forms of like the Greenius. Have you heard of Greenius before? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have a safety program, and their big thing is if a, a safe a company that uh, focuses on safety is a creating a culture of where people will feel like they belong and feel like they are valued. And so if you want to create a company that is going to have longevity to it, you do need to care for your employees and show them that you care. And so that's why we we have a, a weekly safety meeting. They all have to sign off on. They can do it in the trucks. We also have a monthly module that we go over. We we uh, we go over ladder work four times a year. So it's, you know, that's a big, big push for us. Things with we talk about cold working, heat work, working in the cold, working in the heat. Talk about driving, um, PPP. Um, PPP did you get, I mean, did you get so. a lot of these through uh, through the grip program? Because um, I know, isn't it Earn West that doesn't? Um, There's some that helps them. Oh, I don't. Maybe hmm? we've made our own modules over the, over time. There's okay. some good handouts too. I've seen some good handouts from uh, I think Lawn and Landscape does one that's in Spanish and English, with nice graphics that are consistent that you can uh, copy. At one point we were doing uh, uh, you know one or two a month as a handout to just talk about something that was pertinent in the summer. It would be heat uh, safety, you know. In the winter it would be like slip and fall or or something like that, um, and uh, or cold weather you know safety. So um, uh, those resources are available uh, uh, and, and really easy to disseminate among staff and, uh, and review. And the outlines are prepared in such a way that it's easy to, to make a discussion out of it without a lot of thought, you know, so right. a preparation going into it, which is nice.
And Robert, you had mentioned something else when you mentioned uh, grip, the GRIP program, you said, and I missed the word. What was the name? Was it a company? Was it an organization? What was that? Greenius? Yes. Greenius is a national safety program based on NALP. NALP also has safety programs too. Um, so you have to be a member to get all their data. And Greenius sets it up nicely for people to... It's not cheap, but it's you basically have people they have they keeps track of their accreditations and what they've gone through in their safety models. We don't use Greenius ourselves, but those are just some options I've I've seen in the marketplace. Well, if I go back to our chart and I'm following our chart around, it actually sounds like in the in the structural elements, this risk management department could actually be supplemented with NALP. Alan mentioned Lawn and Landscape magazine. Uh, I know that uh, GRIP program has uh, something associated with it. We have to be in the GRIP program to, to get their, their weeklies. Uh, approach management was one that sends me a, a weekly safety thing, um, though we're not even part of their program. Um, and <clears throat> there's some, oh, L&I. L&I has, uh, has help online, uh, as well as... Um, uh, has their yearly or bi bi yearly um, safety meetings that they have. So here we are at uh, eleven twenty. We'll take a short break and be right back uh, at uh, risk management at the Green Meridian uh, monthly meeting. And here we are. And welcome back. I see Tim Hawkins has joined us. Tim, you joined us for our risk management today. Do you want to pipe in on? Uh, on anything you're doing for risk around your company? Yeah, we're, we do a lot, um, but I joined the meeting today to try to get more insight on what more we can do as we've scaled up over the years. Um, how we approach risk management has changed drastically and how we dealt with a 10 employee company versus a 50 employee company is not really the same. Um, we're finding that Regular trainings are imperative. Like we do, we do our monthly safety meetings, and everybody signs the agenda so that there's confirmation on what we went over. We're doing safety meetings on site. We're doing morning things as they come up. Uh, it's not really regimented. Every morning we do something. We do stretches, but beyond that, it's if there's a need or an issue that came up from a supervisor or manager from a site visit or a crew visit, that's followed up the next day in a meeting and we just try to hit things quick instead of letting them linger on. But I'm trying to just absorb on what more we could be doing because the risk uh, potential is greater now that we've gotten bigger. Have you had, uh, have you had uh, incidents that, that were a concern, Tim, with your, with, with your company? I mean, that, that you would characterize as like a, uh, would fall under this kind of heading? Well, sure. The number one issue just from last year is uh, we had a chainsaw incident. And mm. if you if you look at our L&I record, like we, we've got a really squeaky clean record. Our rate or um, our performance rate or factor, whatever you call it, is at like a 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5. Mm. So it's really low and we don't have time loss. We keep people on salary. But that one minor chainsaw incident that required three stitches, Al and I came after us for blood. 
and made our lives miserable, as you guys know, for probably close to two months. Mm-hmm. But I, at the same time, I wasn't super worried about it because I know we have all these things in place. But I think my bigger issue, my bigger hiccup is we have chainsaw, we have chaps in place, we have safety glasses in place, we have your protection in place, we have all these things. But how do we, how do we enforce and reinforce our labors actually falling through on using the stuff that we are giving to them? And what I get, what I'm getting at is we can't sit on a property 24 seven and make sure that these guys are wearing the proper PPE, for example, in this particular case. But at the same time, that's what LNI is suggesting and requiring. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I wonder if there's a better way to go about it to mm-hmm. enforce those rules or those policies to cover our butts and to protect the guys too. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, I just, you know, you talk about three stitches on a chainsaw. One of my guys just out hand pruning with hand pruners and he, and he caught his hand with the saw, got five stitches in his finger and he had to be out for a week, you know, or he couldn't use that hand anyways for a week. So uh, what do you do in that situation? So I went out and bought everybody, uh, you know, the saw proof gloves. <laughs> so it's like, you can't, how do you trade around that? Everyone tells yeah. me in the field, well, he probably drinks too many rock stars during the day. And, you know, obviously as an employer, I like the fact they drink rock stars, but if it's going to cut his fingers off, I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a well, lot it's, of caffeine. It's interesting. There, it's interesting you bring that up because just this morning, every winter we gut our internal processes and procedures and basically go to the employees and ask some defining questions on, you know, how can how can you do better this year than you did last year? So focus on yourself for a minute. And then I turn the table and I say, okay, how can I, Tim, the owner, better support you in your job? And it's really tall telling for what we get from it. And it's a roadmap for the year. But what came up this morning in one of our groups was, why doesn't the company provide gloves? Hmm. And I, everybody has mixed emotions about gloves, right? We, we, provide the basic PPE, but my concern is that they treat glasses, safety glasses, the same way that they treat rakes. They lose rakes, they leave them on job sites, they break them. So you put all this money into giving your people the support and opportunities that they need, but then they lose it. And if you're buying those very expensive gloves for your guys, (laughs) <laughs> what's protecting your investment from not walking off and you having to continually replenish those gloves? You know, that's Does a really that good sense? point. Uh, we, we've had a long discussion about it as well. What we came to is we, we don't buy expensive gloves because you're right. And if somebody wants expensive gloves, then I would support them getting them and putting their name on them. Uh, but I wouldn't replace them over and over. So what we found is that we end up replacing the gloves over and over and we're supposed to monitor it where, you know, you can get two pairs a month, you know, uh, and after that, it's supposed to be deducted, but it's too much of a payroll headache to actually do that. Although, you know, they think that's <laughs> going to happen. Uh, but there's just a big tub of, uh, of gloves. With the safety glasses, you really don't have any choice. Safety glasses are, are a requirement. And in some cases, like with a chainsaw, gloves really are a requirement. When they're doing pruning, gloves should be a requirement. But I don't know if they really are. 
So as far as the, the, the actual designated PPE, whether it's eye protection, ear protection, or, um, or breathing protection, something like that, then, you know, you're, you're required to provide it. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a definite problem. Well, so if I chirp in on the safety glasses, what I found is that uh, putting, not that they always do it, mind you, but putting them in plastic bags, just regular, you know, plastic bags from my kitchen and zipping them closed. What happens is, is a little, it's like buying a bag of, 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 of uh, potato chips. There's air in the bag and that's what keeps them from crushing all the time. Because the worst thing that happens is all these glasses, they get all scored and, you know, they slide around their truck in the back with the, with the uh, rakes that they aren't taking care of. And then they're worthless after, after the first day, you know. So to one yeah. side, the other yeah. thing I found is I found these gloves online. So, you know, the, it turns out Bill started a research, uh, goes from A1 to like A9 or something, you know, I ended up at A3 at, you know, seven bucks a pair or something. I thought, thought that was pretty good. A3 is, but my guy's out hand cutting with a handsaw. I just wanted to keep, keep it so he doesn't get five stitches in his finger, you mm -hmm. know, when he, when he shows sure. his hand. So, but there again, you know, I, there's no direction on this stuff. I'm just kind of making it up, going online and seeing what, you know, what's out there. Well, you got to build it. You got to build it into your cost of doing business at some point if it's realistic to do that. So, you know, it's like anything. It's a it's a piece of equipment that's expendable, I guess, is the way to think of it. And you're, you're going to have to provide it. So but it, it is a problem, especially to your point, Tim, when you're you're weighing it against the personal irresponsibility of, you know, just leaving it there. I used to have the crews back when I owned the company, I used to have the crews come and take care of my house. And, uh, and, you know, I invariably, we do, we do, you know, hundreds of jobs, you know, over hundred jobs annually. And when I do a walkthrough with a client, invariably there's a tool sitting there, you know, which is just <laughs> really frustrating. And when they did my house one day, um, I'm walking around emptying the trash. I see a chainsaw sitting there, you know, so I know if they're leaving a chainsaw at the owner's house, they must be leaving a freaking compactor at somebody's house. I can't imagine. It's just absolutely crazy making. Yeah. Risky. It's risky. Yeah. So, Tim, I'm going to go back. Uh, you were, um, we were kind of going around this chart earlier, and we're kind of into the an area called risk management department. And I think we are all kind of deciding that we're all kind of doing it ourselves. But you... You mentioned that you do an internal um, uh, audit with your people every year to kind of ask them what they're doing. Do you actually have somebody that's focused on risk management or does it all fall on you? Uh, it all, well, I wouldn't say it all falls on me. It's partially me and then partially my chief operations officer. Um, and between me and her, we're, we're figuring out as we go. So don't be deceived. <laughs> We're still trying to process it, but I'm I'm all about transparency and being open and vulnerable. And I expect the same thing for my people. And you won't ever get attacked. You won't ever get put down. But if you aren't vulnerable, we can't grow and we can't succeed together. And we had a few hiccups a few years ago where I wasn't doing that. And I wasn't doing the things that I should have been doing as an owner. And it could have bit me really hard and unfortunately I caught it quick enough, but it taught me if I don't get the cards on the table and ask the sticky questions, if I don't help my people to open up about the awkward and comfortable and just say what sucked about last year and what worked well and what's something that we can control for this year, suddenly it paved the way for, it could be 
incidences. It could be teamwork. It could be harassment. It could be quality control I and mean, go down the list. And it literally just opens up Pandora's box in a good way, because then I can look at it and go, all right, here's the key three or four things that we need to focus on to, if you want to call it risk management, great, but it's to give us that edge and to refine us that much more. So. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. I think that, I think the idea for today's meeting was that um, I haven't really given a whole lot of thought to all the things that go into what we may term risk management. And I think that's why we wanted to have that today so that we can actually put words behind it and actually, you know, talk about. Yeah. It feels like we're in, you know, you're always thinking about it, but you don't really think about it in the structured way you're presenting it there on the, with the graphic. Um, Yeah. We thought about it that way. Exactly. Okay, so there's uh, a, another section in our risk management function that's called the strategic elements. And in the strategic elements, which again can be found on the Green Meridian Facebook website, um, is risk management partners, enterprise risk management, and levering, leveraging risk management. Leveraging risk management. That one kind of really confused me. I was wondering what others' opinions might be about how do you leverage risk management? And I wonder if it may go back to Tim, what you're saying is, is, or actually maybe it was Robert that was saying, you know, when you put together a good safety program, uh, it actually shows respect for your employees and it actually encourages people to work with you and et cetera. What, is, what do people think about this leveraging risk management aspect? How, how, do, you, how do you mean though? Uh, yeah. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, it's a, it's on this chart, and the chart looks like it's well-meaning, and it's put together. The chart's put together by uh, somebody that you know focuses on on these type of things for companies. Well, some of the safe some of the safety programs, the formal safety programs, will have a diminished rate that you're paying if you're if you actually uh, operate oh. without, like LNI does. Well, you know, you're actually I wouldn't say you're rewarded, but you're not dealt with so punitively if you have a safe record. It's less a reward and a lack of punishment that they're offering. Um, to some extent, with a st with a staff situation, you can leverage and like I'm talking about with the gloves, where you know at a certain point we're providing uh, a, an amount, a responsible amount for you of, of items, and then beyond that you need to be buying them. But then we're, our hands are tied when it comes to like uh, safety goggles because you could lose them every day, and I still got to provide them the next day for you. So uh, then it becomes a, I think a. Uh, a uh, review situation for the crew lead, perhaps, to say, you know, dude, what are you doing over here? Uh, starting the chainsaw with the blade between your legs. So, uh, you know, that that I think that's where the discussion that when I think of leveraging, that's where it goes. Hmm. Having leverage, having leverage with your employees and how things are done, but it doesn't seem to work very well if you're having to supply glasses every day to them. They're not being that's true. That's true. But, you, you, you know, you also have to factor in that the labor force in, in the landscape industry is not coming from MIT, you know, generally. Mm -hmm. These are these are folks that are uh, rough trade many times, uh, may not have a high level of education and uh, and they wouldn't be hauling rocks uphill in the rain if they were, you know, uh, uh, well studied. And that's not to say there aren't a lot of really talented, hardworking people that do it as a craft, but it's harder and harder to find people like that. So if you've got one, hold on to that person. I think the leverage can come um, or it comes by avoiding the catastrophic 
incidences and catastrophic across the board. It's not just with somebody's health and safety, but also the thrivability for the company too. I think it, not in every instance, but based on my experience um, for the past 10 years, I, I've avoided all the catastrophic things. You know, knock on wood, I'm not, not trying to curse myself, but it's not that we haven't had issues and not that we haven't had trip ups and we have LNI claims every year, but that leverage comes by if you've got good practices and procedures in place, it avoids the really big ouches that are catastrophic for an employee, for you as an employer, for the company, and you're able to weather the storm and hone in more on those specific details because you don't have to deal with the catastrophic things. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's, I think that's well said because I think in a lot of instances, there's, there's a, a feeling towards having a zero injury um, a program when that's really probably not practical. Um, but to take it from what could be catastrophic to something which is manageable on the injury level could be leveraging leveraging it through a good safety program. Um, well said. We'll take a short break here um, and uh, be right back with the Green Meridian um, monthly meeting. And we're back. Uh, here we are Tuesday, uh, last Tuesday of the month with our Green Meridian monthly Zoom podcast. Uh, and we're with uh, Alan Burke, ASLA. Um, and he has a number of different companies that he works with these days. Uh, Robert Hobart with Brightscape. Uh, Tim Hawkins with Brookstone Landscapes. And Amy, Amy Wolf is with us. Uh, with, uh, are you still ARW? Hello. Yes. Landscape design. Yep. So uh, Amy, tell, us, tell us about risk. Have you had something risky happen in your career or, uh, have you taken, I'm not talking about buying a Powerball ticket, but have you, uh, have you uh, <laughs> had any job related uh, risky things happen? Um, no context. Well, there. Just yeah. ask. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, I, I I mean, the only thing is, you know, if like a client doesn't pay me, then I've had to go through the whole um, um, getting a, a, you know, the court to send a a person out to uh, serve them with papers, you know, to get to get paid. So sometimes I just or sometimes, yeah, I've had clients just not pay me. Um mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you this, Amy, because I know that you, um, uh, as a landscape architect, you uh, pass out a lot of uh, your jobs to other contractors and are dependent on them to do the work for you on your designs. Uh, what do you do to minimize your risk of exposure when somebody else is doing a job? Um, well, I, I try to follow up as much as I can, and I try to go on the site, you know, to see if the plan is getting installed correctly, but a lot of times they don't contact me. So I have to take it upon myself to constantly check in. And that's another job in itself. Um, I mean, I've got insurance, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's hard to kind of 
protect myself if someone says, hey, you know, it mm -hmm. wasn't installed and we're going to sue you now. It's mm -hmm. never happened, but if I was design build, I'm sure, it, you know, I would be able to follow up a lot better on completed projects, but I, I just try to contact my clients and, you know, check in with them or at least send me a picture or stuff like that. But yeah, that's hard to do. Right. Right. What's next on your chart there, Billy? Well, we're kind of up in the strategic elements and I'm not sure what to make of this risk management partners. I would say the partners we've kind of discussed in that we have uh, to, you know, recap that, you know, uh, Lana Landscape, uh, L&I, um, uh, uh, the GRIP program or the, what's the other program called? GRIP and what's the other safety program called? The rebate program, retro, <laughs> the retro program that has the same, same sort of thing. Um, but they have this last category called enterprise risk management. What do you suppose that has to do with anything? Any idea what enterprise risk management might be? Is that talking about a global company that's larger and uh, the entire scope of the corporate entity? Uh, it could be. Um, yeah, I wonder if it actually may fall back on the fact that this is put out by a risk management company and maybe they're talking about oh. the enterprise of being a risk management company, mm. you know, and what that actually means. You know, I don't know. Um, but we've gone around the, if I could recap real quickly, we've gone around the chart. We've we've talked about safety programs. We talked about project execution. Uh, we've talked about uh, the project risk assessment, which... I'm going to have to be doing that now every new project I walk onto because I also subcontract the the heavy the heavier construction work stuff I actually subcontract which probably exposes me pretty well to you know their you know, limit of risk uh financial participation uh and I think Tim talked well about you know um, having lots of programs in place uh asking uh, spending the money to do it Insurance program, which we really didn't cover, but I think everybody here is pretty much on board that we better have insurance that covers our butts. Uh, and the risk management department, which sounds like if you're small, you're doing it yourself and you need to be aware of it. Uh, otherwise, uh, maybe there's other people in your organization that are helping out with it. Other than that, I think we pretty much covered risk management for today. Uh, is there anything anyone would like to add to our conversation? It's a lot. I mean, I think there's a lot that we uh, didn't touch on that I'm not really a professional about. Um, but um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack, and uh, and it's a concern every day, and it touches on every aspect of your business, you know. So um, from the construction to you know the designer uh, specifying the proper code required railing or uh, or tread surface uh, in, in, uh, in design work. Um, and now, uh, ecologically, uh, the improper plant specification can create kind of a environmental mini miniature environmental disaster on a project site or, or drainage can be diverted to the wrong location or, um, you know, uh, I had a client years ago, we had a pump fill valve failure and while they were on vacation uh their their pump continually ran into the native area for like a month and they had a five thousand dollar water bill when they returned you know wow. and, and it was a technical failure of the equipment that is just designed badly um but uh designers can have uh 
risk that comes from very unexpected origins. And um, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. Bears a lot of discussion. Yeah, it brings up a good yeah. point. What do you, oh, go ahead, Amy. I just try to make sure that on my plans, I have lots of notes about, you know, I'm not responsible for blah, 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 <laughs> you know, and contractor to verify this and this and this. And so I, I try to have lots of notes to cover myself, too. Right. You can. Uh, I think a lot of times that's really seen as a panacea by the designer as, as actually covering them, and it really does not. As someone who's been to court a number of times, I can tell you that the judge will look at notes sometimes and just laugh and say, no, no. you know, you can't, <laughs> you can't skirt the issue that easily, right. you know, and, uh, you know, and then, and then it falls to uh, whether you did the work in a, what they call a workmanlike manner. Or you uh, uh, installed the appropriate additional uh, safety uh, safeguards that were uh, required in a customary way, uh, mm -hmm. or that you uh, corresponded with the client in a clear uh, tone, and you have proof of your uh, communication to them uh, back and forth to say that you warned them or that they, they uh, were instructed to do things a certain way and did right. not, and so. Um, I think it's good to have those disclaimers and uh, liability uh, uh, text limitations, but they're not uh, in any way uh, going to wholly protect you. And in fact, many times when you're dragged into court, uh, you, you may not be uh, liable for anything, but you're still going to court and you still have an attorney at uh, three or four hundred dollars an hour or more. And right. um, you're still going to pay. And right. so, you know, it's a lose-lose. I, I want a case years ago against a client for a driveway, talked about on the podcast before that didn't pay us. And when we won the judgment, I think it was like $90,000 judgment. Wow. I said to, I said to the, uh, my attorney, Hey, we won. And he goes, yeah, you won, but you owe me $25,000. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? So I felt like, well, I'm a winner loser, you know, mm -hmm. so you know, that's the way it rolls in the legal world. No, it, it, no, it uh, comes to, it comes back to still having good contracts. And I'm reminded of your little water, your little water thing is I had kind of the same thing uh, years ago uh, with, uh, you know, putting in what would be considered what might you may put in your toilet for a float control and a water feature. And uh, the thing got all algaed up and crapped out and, and it stuck, you know, it stuck on and, and a homeowner ended up with an $800 water bill wanted me to pay for it. And so now our contract says not responsible for any water bills. Uh, and uh, and people say, what's that all about? I said, if you want to invest the $1,000 for the electronic autofill, I'll, I'll make sure that it works. But if I'm putting in something that, you know, generally we put in chlorinated water situations, <laughs> you know, and you're not maintaining your pond, yeah, I'm not paying for, <laughs> for your water bill, you know. So, right. uh, but it all, but good contracts also is a, you know, good risk risk management tool. So I think my takeaway from today um, is uh, while I uh, I brought this topic up because I wanted to know more about it, and while I kind of shy away from from doing the safety meetings, I mean, I, yes, we do them, but uh, I don't really put my whole heart into them. I just kind of do them as a matter of fact. It, um, I think today uh, it really comes up that I just need to, like Tim said, put my cards on the table and just say, hey, this is what happens. This is this is our world. This is our industry. And quit being such a, a, a scary cat, uh, and and get in front of my employees and you know start to make these things happen. So, yeah. Anyone else have yeah. takeaways, Robert? I guess yeah. 
cover your butt. <laughs> Alan, do you have any takeaways? No, I think that pretty much encapsulates it there, Robert. That could be like uh, <laughs> your company motto. Put that on a bumper sticker, you know, CYB. Well, thank you for all joining us. Uh, and this is the Green Meridian Facebook group monthly last Tuesday of the month Zoom podcast. See you next time.